Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers podcast. We release podcasts here, in part and in full, on the Joy of Sunflowers website. The Joy of Sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss. We cover a range of topics including fertility, pregnancy after loss and so much more. I speak with a range of people including wellness professionals, medical experts and beautiful mamas. The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Hi Emma, welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, please introduce yourself a little bit more. Hi Ella, um, so I'm Emma, um, I am 37, just turned actually a month ago. Um, I'm from Manchester in the UK. Um, currently don't live in Manchester in the UK, live in Bowmanville, which is just outside Toronto. Uh, we've been here for four years and we moved just prior to the pandemic, which has been an experience. Um, have a husband, Dan. Uh, we've been together for 14 years this year, married for 11 this year. Uh, we have a little dog called Casper. And we have an angel baby, Avery, as well. So, um, gosh, you've gone from Manchester to Canada. That's amazing. Yeah. I yeah, went from England to Australia. I I did wonder. There was an accent. <laughs> oh, I know. I know about moving. But it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an extreme thing, isn't it, when you move from, like... Very extreme. Yeah. And it's so different. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. No, I knew I like just from that little bit talking to you before, like it sounded I was like, you're English. Where are you yeah. from? Like it sounded northern. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know whereabouts because I haven't lived there in so long. Like I have no idea. And it's funny, isn't it? Pinpointing the accents. People don't quite believe it. How different accents can be within like a 30 minute radius. It's like crazy, yeah. really. Yeah. It's just like you, do, you just don't know. Like you can hear someone's accent and you're like, Right. Well, you're definitely English and you're definitely from like north or like south or, you know. Yeah, you can kind of pinpoint a region, but then it gets a bit convoluted sometimes. Yeah. My <laughs> husband's from Leicester, so his accent's completely different. So it, it's always very interesting when we go out together and people are like, are you both from England? He sounds a bit, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. So with your with your dog, did you take him from England or did you get him in yeah. 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 I don't think he appreciated it at all. It was probably the most traumatic 24 hours of his life. But um, yeah, he moved with us. We couldn't really leave. Well, I couldn't leave him, although there was elements of bribery going on between my dad trying to keep him with them <laughs> and then my husband's parents trying to keep him with them. It was very interesting. But no, he made the trip. Um, yeah. Um, and at some point we'll we'll probably be moving back, so he's going to make the return trip as well. Bless him. So, I know. Well, hopefully, it won't be as bad as the first trip because he's done it before. You but... would think so, but he's actually the most terrified dog in the world. He's scared <laughs> of br brooms, brushes, uh, vacuums. <laughs> scared of any loud noises. Finally. Yeah. So, you know, we really set him up <laughs> to succeed on a, a plane flight, I believe. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. my dog's like that. And he, like, backs out of the kitchen. And you're like, 
why are you why are you doing that? It's not like I beat you or anything. Like this looks so bad. Like <laughs> we call our vacuum Vlad the vacuum. Just because it's perilous, isn't it? It's a perilous name. And oh gosh, he's terrified. Even if he's sat on the couch, he will move off the couch because the vacuum's there. It's like it can't fly. <laughs> it's an intriguing dog, that's for sure. No, it's just it's like I don't I don't understand why they do that. Like it's not like no. you, you haven't like hurt them, you haven't gone towards them with the vacuum, like and you know, tried to terrify them with it. I don't understand why they do those things. I thought I thought maybe I'd done something wrong, but it's nice to hear there's other dogs that have the same. No, problem. there's definitely other dogs. Don't worry. He, we bought, um, we had a lovely like next door neighbor in England called Jack, and it was his birthday, and we bought him one of the Minion uh, farting guns. So we were trying it out in the house. <laughs> beforehand and he was terrified of that as well oh, bless. which ultimately led to him now being terrified if anyone releases wind <laughs> he just scabs so yeah he definitely keeps us entertained oh, <laughs> well you know it's a good warning it's a good warning okay yeah. whenever someone farts you're gonna know now and you're gonna know when it's gonna be really stinky so yeah yeah, <laughs> you don't think for dust. Oh, he's left a room. Um, I'm just I'm gonna go and do something like in another room now. Yeah, <laughs> someone's clearly farted. Um, <laughs> imagine having a room of guests and your dog's like freaking out because like everyone. Yeah, like, um, someone's there. Let up someone. Oh, it could be could be good, could be terrible, but that's okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> So let's let's dive in and start from the very beginning. Um, so uh, I I asked this of many speakers. Um, was uh, you know have you always wanted kids or was it like a a thing that kind of just happened that you you know you met your husband and you were like with you yes. Yeah. <laughs> He'd love for me to say that actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, do you know what I? I think yeah, I have always wanted children. It wasn't really kind of at the forefront of my mind because I I was very career orientated as well. Um, so prior to moving to Canada, I was a high school teacher, um, and that was what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to work with children, and I think that was kind of uh, kind of an entry point to kind of think about being a mom and think about what that would entail and. Um, so, so yeah, in answer to your question, I think that was always kind of on my path. My mum was very similar as well. Like my mum wasn't very career oriented. She always wanted to be a mum and that kind of channeled her entire life. So I think I kind of got a little bit off her in that respect. Uh, but yeah, when I met Dan, yeah, he was like straight away, you kind of know if they're going to be kind of a good kind of parental figure a great dad and I've always kind of known that he he would be a wonderful dad gorgeous there you go he'll like that <laughs> yeah you'll love that it's all over it <laughs> why didn't you tell her it was all me <laughs> it was all me I saw him across the room and the first thing I thought was yeah definitely you <laughs> you're the father of my children there's been a few who've said that and I'm like, yeah, 
Nice. I get it though. I get that kind of chemical kind of reaction. They say it, it is very chemical, isn't it? Yeah. Between man and woman, and uh, yeah, man and a man. Or I mean, I mean, technically, we all kind of have that because otherwise, we wouldn't be with the partner we're with because we're like, yeah, you would like yeah. material, you know? <laughs> yeah, and and like it's funny because me, me and Dan always laugh. Like we we were kind of always we feel like we were always destined to be together. Like it's really unusual occurrence. Like we were looking through old family photos when, when we kind of first got together and there was a lot of him from in Florida. I was like, oh, when did you go to Florida? And he was like, oh, you know, we stayed in the Disney hotel. We stayed in this one. And it transpires that actually we were staying in the same Disney complex at the same time. We overlapped by a week. So he was 11 and I was 10. And we had to eat breakfast in the same area. So I, I, I'm absolutely positively sure that our paths probably crossed in some way, which oh, is really dear. kind of bizarre. But, yeah, I think you're right. Like, for some, pe- some people, it really does feel almost, like, destined. It's kind of like that chemical draw of the person. That's yeah. cute. Very strange. Yeah, that is weird. Very, but- very strange. Yeah, very cute. Um, the, it's amazing how many things like um, happen within our lives that you know, uh, and then we still end up with the people we end up with. Like my husband, yeah. he was set to move, and then my and then his parents like didn't want to move, so then he stayed put. And like my parents wanted to move, and I said no, I'm not moving schools. And then that's where we met. Wow. <laughs> we met so yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's those little choices and yeah. those little decisions that are made that kind of set you on that path. Yeah, kind of find the person. I do yeah. think it's a thing. It's very Nora Ephron kind of film writing, kind of rom com thing. But I do think in some circumstances, there absolutely is that kind of. I don't know what does Taylor Swift call it? That kind of golden thread that links us all almost. Yeah. No, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's, there's like a seven degree gap between each person or something or seven pe- people gap I don't know I can't remember what it was but it was like everyone you could literally like tie everyone together by like the last seven people they that's it's crazy isn't it really when you think yeah. about it like that way yeah it was something weird but I mean I live in I live in a place called Perth in Australia and mm-hmm. I can tell you uh like you get to know a lot of people like yeah it's hard to like go into go into like an area and not like see someone that you've like it's very similar where I'm from in Erlen like everybody knows everybody so like ultimately we went back there to scatter our little girls ashes a couple of weeks back and we can guarantee that we'll walk into the local supermarket and we will see at least two people by the time we leave. And it was the same on this occasion. Like our next door neighbor who I spoke about earlier was at the checkout at the same time with her children. And then as we walked away, my my cousin's wife turned up with her two children. So yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes you want to see him. Sometimes you don't, you know. No, sometimes you don't. Definitely. Um, and sometimes you wish that you lived in a much bigger place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but you don't yeah. have a choice. So when they <laughs> see you, you have to be like, <laughs> hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I have things I have to do somewhere else. Uh-huh. Another conversation because I might cry or I'm just not feeling up to it today. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. There has been plenty of times in my life when I've really not welcomed a supermarket or a grocery store visit. <laughs> You're just like, not today, Satan. Move away. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how we can, uh, you know, with all the emotions associated with, you know, going through loss, going through uh, fertility, it, you just kind of, yeah, like you, you can go through these real moments of, I don't want to see anybody. Like, I don't want to yeah. talk to anybody. I don't want to see another face. Like, every face annoys me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, do you know what that really resonates with me because I, I kind of I, I kind of feel like that now um and it's we are so good at putting on a mask and wearing that mask and owning that mask and I said this to two of my very good friends I, I am my own worst enemy because I know that I am totally masking it I'm totally brave facing it but you, you, the other option is to break and when you don't see an end point to that break, it, it feels like a chasm's kind of opening and you're going to get sucked in and are you going to be able to claw yourself back out again? Because it's it's such a quick turnaround with fertility and I don't think people really understand that. You go through, you go through a loss every month. Like I, I was trying to explain that. Even, even a negative pregnancy test for someone who's trying to have a baby is a loss. And so if you've done it for so long and every month is that, and then you have to pick yourself back up again and start taking your meds again or cope with, you know, enforcing a period like I have to do or, you know, a natural period and, and geeing yourself up mentally for what's coming the next month. Um, I just think we're, we're so great at being our own worst enemy and masking that to the world and so people don't really understand the nuts and bolts that goes on with with us when we're struggling no and I think that's a real challenge because then they don't know how to treat you yeah and I think it's hard with um when you have so many emotions as well it's hard to know when to feel them and when not to like I know a lot of people go, oh, no, embrace your feelings. You have to feel what you have to feel. But then at the same time, if you're living that 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 scenario, that, that thing that is actually causing the emotional, um, you know, just distraught feeling, you know, um, you can't really necessarily allow yourself to feel it all the time because it's a lot. Yeah. And if you're constantly going through it, they're, they're, you're right there isn't an end in sight you know unless um unless you've decided okay you know this is the last time like we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do something else you know and I think when once you reach that point that's when you can let everything in and deal with all of that and and get through that but before that point like I think I I totally like understand like it how how can you allow all of that to just take over because you know you're still living it because you still you're still yeah. going for it. You're still driven. So, yeah, like I understand that accepting what you're feeling and everything, but I also understand that if you're living it and you know you're going to keep living it, you have to keep going. Uh, yeah. you know, as best you can, um, and not just take it all in and 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 break. You're right. Yeah, totally. I I mean, we've had like very 
similar conversations that you you were talking about um about that point where you're choosing to hate saying give up give up is the wrong word no, for this it's not but it's the one that we yeah. kind of go naturally to um but it's like call it a day just say you know enough's enough my body's gone through it uh, and I'm ready for something different um I'm ready for a change and and we're kind of because I mean I'm sure we're going to get into kind of what's happened with us but kind of the the nature of what we're going through we're here for a, a, a finite amount of time before we move back home and so within that it's kind of well when is enough enough when is it time for us to say you know yes I want to be a mum yes I want you to be a dad but our lives are on hold and it's it's very strange as someone that you know, has been going through this for 12 years and seen all of her friends have children. And it's like, we've been kind of left behind. We've got great friends and we socialise with them and we spend a lot of time with their children. And, you know, I adore my French children more than anything. But it's like, they're all living the lives that we planned and yet here we are. We've moved forward but it's only snail's pace. It's only tiny little steps. We're still very much in the same place, still waiting for a new outcome. Yeah. While you see all of your friends around you buying better houses, better cars, getting those promotions at work, you know, having a second child, having a third child, having a fourth child, like our best friend, we always laughed and joked and said that our children will grow up together. Um, and our godson, our best friend's child, is is 10 years old this year. And it's like they're getting to the point where he's independent now and he'll be going off and doing his own thing and they'll get their lives back to an extent and we'll be still in in the trenches I call it which is a very extreme thing to say because it's you know but sometimes it does feel like you're in the trenches trying to battle yourself out of it it's very uncompromising position sometimes being infertile yeah well again you're you're still going through it so let's start um from where you guys made the decision to to start trying and how you found out that you you know we're having we're going to struggle so I I always had an idea that I was going to struggle um I was 15 um and um, my granddad passed away really suddenly and from and between so my granddad passed away just before Christmas and a friend in our year group passed away at the end of February and within that time Something happened and my my period stopped happening. I didn't menstruate. And so we went to the doctors, took me to the doctors and they put me on the pill. That was their answer. So I went on the pill at 15 and stayed on the pill until I was 24. Um, so when me and Dan got together, I, I always kind of knew that there would be an issue. Um, and I knew really that I had polycystic over it 
polycystic ovaries. I just knew it. I had hair growth and hair, my hair was falling out. And, you know, my I gained weight, which wasn't just from the pill. So we had a very frank conversation. We got engaged very quickly after a year of being together. Um, and, and I said to Dan, you know, I think that I'm going to struggle. And this is why. Um, so just prior to us getting married, I started the ball rolling on fertility treatment. Um, went for your annual, we call it a pap test in Canada, smear in England. Um, did that and they found abnormal cells. And so for a long period of time, they were eradicating those abnormal cells. Um, so it became a very long and drawn out process really for me because I had to deal with these cells and have a colposcopy and, and things like that. And then once I got the all clear, it was like, right, okay, now's the time. And as you know, nothing happens. And, you know, the tricky thing for me was that we did all the testing and Dan had male factor infertility as well. So he had a, a low sperm count um, and low mobility as well, which was really tricky for him. That became really difficult for him to deal with because nobody really talks about male problems. Nobody, because it's just a given in school that a man and woman will get together, they'll have sex and they'll have a baby and that's how it works. And nobody ever talks about the what ifs when you're younger. So you know, naturally males don't tend to share. So it was a real, like, tough situation for Dan. But I think it helped us knowing that it wasn't just one of us. We both had an issue and we were both going to deal with it. So we we kind of went on the waiting list to speak to a specialist and then, you know, we got to the specialist. And, and that, for me, was where the issue started happening because... National Health Service, they have very stringent methods on who's going to be um, allowed to have treatment and who isn't. And they run that off BMI and having polycystic ovaries. I, I'm never going to be stick thin, never. I had a BMI of when I started, 38, and I needed to be at 30. So what would happen was I'd go to the, our specialist every four, four months and he would weigh me, he would measure my height and I would sit in that room and he would tell me that I was too fat to be a mum. In his medical terms, you need to lose weight. You, we, we can't refer you until you're 30, like 30 BMI. Um, you you would be a high-risk pregnancy. It would be a danger for you to carry children. Um, and then he would go, I'm going to diagnose, I'm going to give you metformin, take this, come back in four months. So four months would pass and the same would happen over and over again. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. Because there's so many people that have kids naturally and they're like, I've seen heaps of people who are overweight or like, yeah. I mean, even yeah. people who are like obese have kids. Yeah, have what children. And yeah, and that was a frustration for me and Dan because like ultimately 
you, you go out for a walk, you go to the shopping centre, you walk down the shopping centre and and uh, I don't mean to be rude because people are beautiful whatever size they are, but, you know, a lady that's three or four times the size of me has five children around her. It's like the, a BMI is not a measure of who you are as a person and who you're going to be as a mother. And and they did offer me nutritionists and things like that. And my challenge was because I was a teacher and I didn't have the confidence or the know-how to kind of say and advocate for myself at that point in my life. I never like said, you know, I need this time off. I need to go and see a nutritionist. I need to do that. So in the end, my my solution to this was to go to Slimming World. So I joined a Slimming World club. I spent hours of my life meal prepping, planning, you know, cutting out all of the sins and, and whatever. And I ultimately, I did that and I did a Zumba class. I had a PT session. I was boot camping it two nights a week, as well as doing a full-time job, doing all the housework, looking after the dog and, you know, planning because teaching's not just eight till three. Yeah. And um, I ended up just starving myself, if I'm honest. And even then I didn't make it to the threshold. Even then I was still at 30, 31.5. Because you put, I mean, um, it's not weight. It's 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 an actual um like hormonal imbalance that causes you know because because polycystic ovarian um syndrome like that like i mean as far as i know there's like hormone imbalance there's all this other stuff as well like so you put on weight um so it's not actually necessarily what you're eating what you're eating can actually help apparently polycystic ovarian syndrome i have heard that i have had a few nutritionists on who have talked about how they've helped patients yeah with with their symptoms and everything and helped them get pregnant so i mean it's definitely something to look into but yeah like going on a weight loss thing you know it that you know it's not it's not about weight. yeah it it didn't work and if i'm honest with you it made me bloody miserable yeah it would yeah it made me miserable and and you know you're absolutely right like a weight loss diet isn't going to eradicate a, a, a hormonal imbalance. It's just not. It needs to be treated delicately with different supplements, with healthy exercise. Mm. And that wasn't really kind of offered in so, some respects. And and it just yeah. became this ongoing cycle of, right, you're just too fat. And it got to eight years down the line with one cycle of Clomid in the bank and that was it and Clomid was never going to work for me as I've found out since I moved to Canada like it's it I just got gaslit and that's the honest truth and there are thousands of women in the UK right now who are going through the same and as austerity continues to ramp up and funding leaves there are thousands of couples in the UK at the minute who are never going to have the opportunity to have children and it's just tragic because I've been very blessed in our kind of financial situation that we were able to do something about it but I I know that not a lot of couples especially at the moment the way the world is will be able to do something that we did and ours was very extreme 
yeah so that was kind of like the starting point for us and that ongoing gaslighting you know never getting any further I still don't understand the weight thing because like part of the part of the issue you know creates weight like like it's yeah like I've heard that's one of the symptoms of yeah So, so yeah what they're doing is they're just trying to battle symptoms rather than going for the root cause of it and, and discovering more. And there was there wasn't there wasn't that much research on polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so ultimately they just got they're trying to cut costs because it's a national health service. Mm. And and so it's a very easy red tape to deny someone their human right of being a parent. And and so it, and also, there's so much weight, weight, such a pun, there's so much weight that's placed on body image that when someone uses that as a weapon, mm. it really, really kind of destabilizes you. So every every four months for eight years, you go back and you've not hit that marker and, and you feel like a failure. And they treat you like you're a failure, and and it becomes like it it bleeds. It's like osmosis. It just bleeds yeah. into every other part of your life to the point where your mental health is shot. You're not performing that well in your career because you're trying to meet this impossible threshold. Um. So, and and I'm really lucky that it didn't for a time. It didn't impact our relationship. I think there was certain points where I became very difficult to live with because I just closed myself off and and Dan didn't know how to reach me. And I think that was the point where the dog came into our lives. Um, and, and that really helps. But I just threw myself into work because it was like I worked in inner city Manchester and it wasn't all the case, but you you attached yourself to these lovely young people who you had a responsibility to nurture and 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 kind of provide aspirations to and some children just came from very challenging households and and all got themselves into very challenging situations so it was very easy for me to latch my maternal emotions onto them so I just took on more and more at work and it became very very mentally unhealthy yeah but you know what I'm sure you've helped a lot of kids like uh, there's a thing you know that there's something to be said about um the schooling system I'm I'm not a big fan of school um I I I homeschool uh but there there were some good teachers and you sound like one of them thank you I tried my best there were some like my best there were some really supportive uh teachers and those teachers made the biggest difference to yeah any child that was in their classroom so you know there is something to be said about that like you yeah probably really did make a difference and a lot of the time like kids are really suffering and you know you know because you've seen it you know, and just having yeah. that one, because I remember my one, one of my teachers in primary school, the one teacher who like, just 
made my day. Like, I remember her. Her name was Chris, yeah. but I remember her. And she actually made it like okay for me to be there. Like I had a terrible time, but she made it okay. So you could have you could very well be that that one teacher for someone else. I think I, I think I was. And and you know what? I'm I'm not kind of I don't look at everything in rose-tinted glasses. I know school isn't for everyone. And a lot of pupils that I taught, school wasn't for them as well. Mm. But if you can provide a little shaft of light in a doorway for a child to prop their foot in the way and and get it open and, you know, it's just nice to see young people succeeding, especially when they've got so many barriers and obstacles put in front of them. You know, yeah. And, and I think know, it yeah. helped me. It did yeah, help me. You don't regret it. No, no. Um, you know, and, and like I said, there's there's a lot of bad teachers out there too. So, you know, yeah, you sound like a good true. one and that's what's important because you actually care about the kids. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's that's really awesome. Um, okay, so you got, you got the dog around that time um, and uh, we spoke a little bit before we started and you said how, you know, that really impacted you and just kind of helped you, you know, get up out of bed and do something on the weekends when you weren't at work and you couldn't push yeah. yourself into work. Um, yeah. So, okay, so let's go from there and then move to um, how you guys came to moving to Canada. Yeah, I know. So Sam worked for a Canadian company, which did make life a little bit easier I think we went through a state of time where we didn't really talk to many people about what we were going through. It was there and people knew it was happening, but we didn't really go into kind of how we really kind of felt, how it was impacting us. And it just got to a point where we had the opportunity to move. And I'd done a little bit of research about, you know, where I could go that would treat me that didn't have a BMI cap. Or if it did have a BMI cap, one that was realistic for people. So Canada was one of the first countries that I saw. And I was kind of like, I've always kind of liked Canada. We went to visit and, you know, we we kind of loved the extremes of the weather. And so it was a no-brainer to start there because Dan could transfer. And, and luckily with my qualifications, we got permanent residency. So we fast-tracked. So um, it was a it was a two prong kind of attack. We, Brexit had happened in the UK. Um, I'd started to burn out at work. I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and not because I don't think it was solely because of the job. I just think that everything had just piled on, and you, you don't really deal with it. So I had that, and I had Brexit, and then Dan had this position in for a company based in Canada I'm like do you know what let's just go for it not envisaging that in nine months time there'd be a global pandemic <laughs> so we packed up everything and we moved yeah. um so we moved in we arrived in Canada on Canada Day which is July the 1st 2019 um and got ourselves settled in. I found work quite quickly working in a jewellery store, a really lovely jewellery store in Oshawa, um, a family-run business, wonderful place. 
Um, and Dan continued working where he worked previously, but within their office there. So, so there was a lot of decisions that went about with that final decision to move. And I don't think we weren't very honest with our family. We were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go over and we're going to try it and we're going to see if we love it. Never once did we kind of say, we can't have children in England. So we're going to try in Canada. Like we never even, and I, I feel bad about that now. Now I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser and I've got, you know, I've hit that point in my 30s where I don't really care that much anymore and I'm, I'll just say what I think. I, I do kind of regret not having those conversations before we left, but um. I think we were all just very closed up about what was happening and we didn't know where it was going to go as such. But I I have been absolutely floored by the difference in treatment that I've got in Canada. Yeah, you're not, you're not just a number anymore. And I think in the UK you kind of turn into one because they're just trying to get you out the door as quick, quickly as they yeah. can because they've got other patients. Um, yeah, I have heard... Not yeah. great things. A lot so. of money, isn't there? A lot of money attached to fertility treatment. So if you've got an NHS doctor who works in the NHS but also has a private clinic, it's ka-ching for that person. They can make a lot of money. So if they don't think you're going to be successful, they're not really that interested in you, to be honest. That's kind of the impression I got. And that's not every doctor. And I don't want to tar them all with the same brush. But unfortunately you only see the doctor in your region. Yeah. So if the doctor in your region isn't, you know, doesn't believe that you're capable, then they're not going to invest time or no. effort. And so you're exactly right. I, I became a human being again because, yes, like my doctors here earn a lot of money. Like that's a fact. But that, that releasing of the BMI cap all of a sudden just made me a human being again. Yeah. And the conversation, like, immediately. So we got, so in Canada, you it's kind of half percentage private, like, national health, and then the rest is either insurance or private, private kind of Medicare. So it's kind of a bit of both. So it's kind of an, a bridge between England and a bridge between between America, I guess, is the way to put it. So we got our OHIP cards and I saw my family doctor and I told him straight away that I wanted to be referred for fertility treatment and that happened straight away. Wow. Yeah, it is so straight away. We went to, we saw a lovely doctor in Oshawa um, and the ball started rolling and I couldn't believe it. And it's like we did our like lots of tests and it just felt like all of a sudden there was a possibility that this might happen for us. Like, okay. So we've had the eight years of England where literally nothing had happened. And then we've been here three and a half years now. And the process has been so quick and so efficient um, and so human again. It's just been like a breath of fresh air, but underlying that is all the frustration that why couldn't the NHS do this for me? 
because since I've been in Canada, I've been pregnant three times. Wow. So I can get pregnant. And I think the the heartbreaking thing for me and my husband is that if we'd had the same treatment in England, we'd be parents by now. It, it'd have happened. But now in our late 30s, it's like time is running out for us. Oh, it feels like that because no, I, I know yeah, yeah. I, I I get it like well, I've spoken to a lot of women and that there is there really is a time there really is a time factor and and like an age factor and I think you know going back to school and like you know the education system we just they just don't say it anymore they say oh no you've got time you know go for your career first and and they're really it's not like that it no. isn't you know, not, and I've, I've so like I've been in a position now where I've had you know the IVF community and the baby loss community and the infertility community is just wonderful. Like it's wonderful in Canada, it's wonderful across the world. Oh yeah, but I've had a pool of friends in the UK, and I've had a pool of friends. I've got a few people that I know in Canada now, um, and. It's it's funny like that. <laughs> I've had friends who have had polycystic ovaries and been big bigger girls and have been forced to lose weight. And uh, some of my friends have managed it. They've managed to get below the threshold. They've managed to ha- get treatment, but then they fluctuate. So they they might lose their baby and then they fluctuate their weight and then the treatment's not available to them again. So that's that's the end of that. Um, which is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And then I also have other, other friends who have lost the weight, you know, had their miracle rainbow um, and they're happy and, and, and they don't want to go for a, have another child. They don't want to do that. And I've had other friends who have been completely the opposite, who have had eating disorders and the doctors have treated them like their failures and it, and or you can't have children because you've damaged yourself and blah 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 and there's such a a stigma around the women's bodies that is never addressed it's never addressed at school it's never you never sat down and told look there might be an occasion where you might not be able to conceive a child naturally people don't talk about it and then I think the fact that they don't talk about it within school and it's normalized makes it something very shameful and then it becomes dangerous Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what's happened with the BMI kind of measurement in England it's become a really dangerous platform for placing shame on women yeah I mean I didn't even know about it I'm from the UK and I, I didn't know. And I think there's probably a lot of women who are watching right now who didn't know about the BMI thing. Um, so now you know. And that's, it is, it's disgusting because it's disgusting. there's plenty of women who have babies and, you know, they can be, yeah, like we said, a lot over that BMI. <laughs> yeah. How they that, can still know it's true. dangerous. I don't know. And someone made that up anyway. Who made up BMI? It's like a load of baloney. 
I know. It's like a draconian method from hundreds of years ago that when bodies were completely different and, you know, food sauce was completely different and oh. it's just crazy. And there'll be some wonderful man or woman that watching this who's in the same position as me. And, and the, the biggest piece of advice that I could give them is advocate for yourself. Yeah. Know that you can get pregnant. You can get pregnant. And they just need to work out the doses of meds for you like I, I when we sat down with our because we moved and uh, we we were referred quite quickly and probably more quickly than other people in Canada because sometimes they want you to do around five IUIs not everyone but that's kind of their guide and we were very honest with our doctor um she is she's honestly fantastic and I said to her um you know, we've been trying for 11 years. We, at that point, it was about nine. We've been trying for nine years. And, and the truth is that there's a male factor in fertility here as well. And I feel like we're just throwing money down the drain. It's like $1,000 every time for an IUI. Couldn't we just conserve the money and use it for our IVF and, and we'll pay privately? And so she was very understanding and she was like... So I'd explain the BMI to her and she's like, I can't believe how how poorly you've been treated in the UK um, because you've been trying so long. I'm going to make the referral for you and we'll, we'll just bypass the IUIs and, and go straight for IVF, which is what happened. And we got referred to Markham Fertility Centre in Markham, Ontario. Um, and I, I honestly, I've met so many angels. Um and what they said to me as well was that I, I am such a case study of polycystic ovaries, like literally my follicles, my unmature follicles are in there having a party. And my doctor was like, you are going to have no problem with your egg retrieval, none at all. They're going to take eggs out of you for fun. You're going to have so many follicles you don't know what to do with. Like, And, um, and, he, and he was right. He, he was right. Like, they, you know. Um, it didn't take much. It did not take much for us to to get a good batch of eggs. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> it does, it's always <laughs> funny to say, isn't it? A batch of eggs from a me. batch of eggs, you know, <laughs> a cluster of volleyball. I don't know. That's but it, like, yeah, it didn't. It didn't take much. Um, so, yeah, I mean. It's been it's been very tricky on one end and and then very kind of bountiful in another in terms of uh, the difference between the UK and Canada and ultimately I, I just would really want ladies to know that they have to really push their medical practitioners um, and if they don't I I always knew that what they were saying to me was wrong and I didn't act quick quick enough. And it's great in hindsight now to look back at it and go, I should have done this and I should have done that. But there are some people there who are, you know, like I was 24, 25 and are bigger ladies and are healthier and all they need is just a little bit of something, like just a little bit of something that isn't available in the NHS. Yeah. 
I think, I th- yeah, I mean, look, don't blame yourself. Like, it's it's a hard thing. Like, obviously, we have to take responsibility for our own actions, but at the same time, you know, you, you were being told that you're too big, you're too big, you're too big. So, obviously, you'd focus on the weight loss, you know, because that's yeah. what you're being told is the is the problem, you know, and yeah. that's your first hurdle to to jump over. So you were focused on that because that's what you were told to focus on, yeah. you know. And I think it can make it really hard when you're sitting in front of a professional with a degree, you know, who's sitting there yeah. and you, you know, yeah, you're too absolutely. big, too big. Go and lose weight and then you can be a mum. That's hard. Like how are you supposed to not focus on weight when that's what you're being told? So I think give yourself credit because, you know, those things, I mean, it's it's tough for anyone to to go yeah. through any kind of like um, sort of mental bullying yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, um, and, and uh, yeah, it was abuse. I felt like it was abuse. It was abuse. Um Yeah. It was abuse of position as well, I think. And and I can un- and I don't I can understand it's a very tricky profession to be in. You hold someone's life in your hands. I, I get that. I, I've been involved in a very tricky p- profession as well where, you know, there are certain caveats to your work that, you know, you have to be very wary of. So so it's not me kind of trying to throw anyone under the bus, but at the same time, it's like this is a system that does not work. It does not facilitate the people within it, especially in, in this day and age. Like, it's a totally different society we live in than 200 years ago. So why are we still using the, the same methods then and not providing people with the human right of being able to become parents? Like, like that's, that's the truth of it for me. Well, even down to, like the actual care that someone needs like getting to the actual like illness or the 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 crux of the the diagnosis you know yeah. instead of just band-aiding it i mean it, the fact that you went on the pill so many women have gone through the same thing as you like yeah. they they had this weird thing they weren't having periods they weren't having something and then they're like oh we'll just take the pill here you go that will fix yeah. it you know that yeah and, yeah, you're periods. Ah, uh, it's like that didn't fix it, mate. It just made the problem no. worse for when I'm like older. Yeah, and and if you have a doctor that says to you, "Come back when you want to have children," I would change your doctor <laughs> as quickly as possible. Oh yeah, because uh, there's too much made on polycystic ovarian syndrome just being about having children, and it and it isn't. I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions and conclusions and they may not reflect the views, opinions and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, The Joy of Sunflowers and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions or conclusions expressed.